0: That's not I found how to be successful. I found that leaning on people, putting the right people in place, and you do it. If you empower people, they'll do the right things. And if you give them that vision, then now you've empowered them to make decisions that can put you into a good light. And that's what I found out early. If you're going to grow an organization, you can't be afraid of growth. You can't be afraid of risk, but you've got to make sure that the risk-reward
1: is, you know, is in your favor. So welcome to episode 100 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt, and this is an episode I've been really excited about. You know, we wanted to do something a little bit different for episode 100. You know, we're extremely thankful. We've had some amazing guests come on for the last 99 episodes, and this time we brought on Dave Clark, and Dave Clark is my number one business mentor. Not only that, he's my business partner. Dave is someone that believed in me when I was young and at a time in my life when I needed him most. And a lot of us look back to people that have been there for us in those dark times, right? And this was a lot more personal. Just speaking to Dave about his professional career, about his mentality and his approach to business and life and entrepreneurship, to family, you know, and how that incorporates to business and how we look at company culture. This is a lot more personal for me. Again, we've had some amazing guests um, over the years, and this is what's something that is just a little bit different. You'll hear a little bit more about my story um, into AFT, into construction, what inspired the podcast, a little bit more about Dave and behind the scenes, and a lot more about what makes us us. And so without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And I'm actually very excited today. This is our 100th episode. And we've been very... When f- aren't
0: you excited?
1: I, I I am always excited. Dave, Dave, who just spoke, this is Dave Clark. And welcome, Dave. Thank you. And good this to one, be here. yeah, it's great to have you. And this one's a little bit different than the context of the other ones. And the reason being, Dave is my business partner.
0: I know where all your skeletons are.
1: He knows all my skeletons. He knows all the issues. In fact, he's helped me correct most of those. Well, <laughs> he's still working on that. <laughs>
0: no, you're good. You have no skeletons.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, there's plenty, I'm sure. But um, but this one I've been really excited about. So for our hundredth episode, and we've had. Amazing support from all of you that have been listening, and we want to do something special for 100th, and this is why I brought on Dave. And Dave, uh, for those that have heard me on other podcast forums, I always refer to one of the main mentors of my life and business career, which is Dave Clark, who's here today. And I think it's important before just speaking about our business, our operation, our relationship to understand how that started. So Dave, for you, how did your relationship to Arizona begin?
0: It goes back a ways. I, uh, I'm from Wisconsin. Okay, I'm a, I'm a farmer. <laughs> uh, I actually grew up, grew up in farming, but I had a food ingredient business, and I used to bring the kids down, two boys, uh, one of them that uh, works with you pretty much full-time, Andrew. I used to bring oh, him down. Oh, he's definitely full-time. He's definitely we keep full-time, him very busy. Yeah, and uh, we used to bring, come down and go golfing all, quite a bit, but I used to uh, also um, run a dairy down in Marana for a little while, and that goes back. Uh, in between college and high school and because of my background in farming, I uh, helped run a, a brand new dairy uh, down in Marana that was out of Wisconsin. And with that um, you know I, I got familiar. I used to hunt and fish down here a little bit more hunting than fishing actually. but uh, used to spend a fair amount of time in the desert and really enjoyed it and, and then that went on to later years, got back up north, went through some schooling. And always stayed in touch down here. And uh, so, remind me, you were,
1: were you born in Arizona? or You lived here when you no, were young.
0: I was born in Wisconsin. Yeah.
1: Okay, but you lived here maybe when Nakia was young. Who's who's one of your sons, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. and he, and for those listening, Marana's just outside of Tucson.
0: Correct. Yeah, correct. And uh, so that would have been. So I misspoke. It wasn't. It was after schooling, and came down here and helped those guys. And it was quite a quite a process, quite a program uh, back in the day. Uh, they had a pretty good program. They brought down uh, cattle from Wisconsin that were real good cattle. They were, you know, for people that know the farming industry, ABS and is some of the breeders association and different things. And they bred uh, high caliber stock. And then they'd go around to shows in Arizona and they get their blue ribbons. And then they did a lot of international sales on their cattle. Uh, a lot of it went down into Mexico for herds that are still down there are some of the breeds that, that we worked on up here. Uh, But anyway, I went back up to Wisconsin and started working for a food ingredient company up there and worked through the organization. I ended up being one
1: of their top sales guys. But where did you start? Because I've always been impressed by this, that I believe you drive forklifts from the very beginning when you started.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know Rudy. (laughs) Rudy's one of my partners that was VP of operation. He hired me into the industry. And uh, it's really kind of interesting that... uh, The first guy that interviewed me for the company, and it was called Ridgeview, and it was out of Wisconsin, and uh, he said everybody starts in production. Well, I wanted to do inventory and take care of the product and help on formulas and different things, and I thought the forklift and working in a warehouse was a good place to start because I had a lot of background in in, uh, working with inventory. And the guy said, well, we start everybody in production. Well, then I got a phone call from Rudy, and he uh, said, well, we may have a spot for you, and he hired me. Well, uh, we spent a lot of years together, working together, worked up through the organization, and ended up bringing Rudy back into my organization as VP of operations. And uh, like I said, you know Rudy, because Rudy spent some time down here. and uh, But we that company was the first company in the United States to really sell whey protein concentrate. It was a partnership between Thomas Technical and Ridgeview Industries, and we... Got whey protein out of, I think it was five plants at the time, where Frank Thomas, who had Thomas Technical, put in the equipment. And I went around with with Frank to help him put in the equipment. So I learned the process from the start. And uh, then we took the whey protein, the finished product, which was low protein. At the time, it was 34% protein, and sold it. But when whey protein first came around, I mean, basically you couldn't really do too much with it. It wasn't approved for food yet, it was industrial grade so it went on TV screens and different areas we could put it for its functionality and eventually we started using it in food. Kraft was one of the first ones to put it in their formula. Uh, They did Velveeta with whey protein concentrate and then the rest is history. It got up into bodybuilding and different things and took off and now it's a a mainstay. In fact a lot of dairies, when I say dairies I'm talking about cheese plants now, uh, they're Cheese sells for one price, sometimes whey protein sells, and it's usually a high protein, uh, 80 to 90% protein uh, sells for more than what their cheese does. So a byproduct all of a sudden became a main product for these companies, and it started going all over the world. And uh, we were in that mix in our company and grew it, and uh, that's kind of some of my background from the, from the ground up.
1: It's interesting. So here you are working for this company. You find an opportunity, right? Because at the time, whey protein wasn't really used. It was discarded. And now you found a use for it.
0: It was even worse than discarded. It was going down the streams in Wisconsin, and it was killing fish. Or it was being land spread, and you couldn't grow things on the field after it was spread in some areas and stuff. So it was a real problem. And it was becoming an issue uh, as a contaminant. And we took it and turned it into basically separate the whey stream. Uh, You guys, some people will know, probably too young for some of these stories, but uh, curds and whey, you know, from a little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet. (laughs) And uh, anyway, the whey stream, uh, we ended up harvesting whey protein off it. And then the other byproduct was permeate or lactose. And all these products today are main products into into food ingredients.
1: So there must be something that creativity in Wisconsin because Kohler does this. I mean Kohler has their excess product and they use Ansax tiles. So Ansax is like the remnants of product and they're putting together and they resell that. So they've taken that and it's it helps be more sustainable, helps the economy and also as you mentioned, another revenue opportunity where you're optimizing all the product that you're using or manufacturing. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're basically manufacturing more products, your your basket of goods grow. on on ingredients that you control and you end up selling and making more money it's not it's ingenuity and it's not just local to wisconsin i mean next door you you guys work with cambria and cambria you know i mean they came out of the dairy industry i i I knew those guys from the dairy industry and worked with them and they're a great great company but a great great family and ingenuity wise there was nobody you know that does the stuff that they did Um, they were one of the first ones in the country to do whey protein isolate which is a 95% whey protein, and now they own the Cambria. Since then, their cheese plants and their whey protein operations—they've sold. In fact, they sold to the same company that I sold to in Wisconsin, which is AgriPure. And it's—it's uh, it's just amazing where ingenuity will take you. But I think also opportunities take you too. It's uh, one door opens, and you know, hopefully, more doors open than close for you. Uh, Although. Certainly, some things close or get outdated or go away. But uh, if you see the opportunities, you can capitalize on them and grow them. Then, you know, then it's an easy path.
1: I, I will say one of the most valuable things I've learned from you, Dave, in the twelve years, eleven years we've known each other, is I which don't is it twelve or eleven? I now, think your memory well, is good. Mine two, is old. So, so, so. it's two thousand nine. So twelve years. Yeah, <laughs> we met two thousand nine, two thousand ten when you purchased the uh, chateau, which we'll get into, but. What's interesting, I don't think I've ever seen you discouraged. I've never seen you um, uh, depressed. I've never seen you unmotivated, right? I've, we, business is interesting this way. that w- There's a lot of ventures that we'll speak about that you and I are working on, and there's always conflict. There's always challenges. There's always problems. And you've always had this mentality that as one door closes, another opens. When you and I first started our partnership, we'll get into, we had this go online and it pivoted. And you've always been good at that. I mean, where does that come from? I mean, just this amazing positivity, which I I know that to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to be positive anyways because you're always dealing with conflict and, and disappointment and you have to find a way to overlook that and then motivate those that are following you, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's... You know, I've been very blessed, I would guess, I'd say, in so many different ways. And, and a lot of it is because, you know, we've built these things or, or you know, built companies or you're building companies now. And uh, you don't do it by yourself. You do it by people. So it's not only opportunities, but it's also getting the right staff in place that can get the job done and that can take it forward. Some of these, some of these programs, like if you go out and do an acquisition of a company, it'll come with a staff within an organization itself, and you have to go in and evaluate that staff, And you really want to find the stars in it, and you want to make sure you don't lose those stars. Uh, you know, I've always been an advocate for not tearing stuff apart real fast. I, I, I know back in my day, it was a lot of acquisitions. A lot of them were hostile acquisitions, and they shut them down and move production to another facility or just shut down production and take a label and put a label on another product in a different category, and just, you know, all the people are in wasteland. It's not... That's not. I found how to be successful. I found that leaning on people, putting the right people in place, and you do it. Uh, you know, our team is our known entities. And uh, as we grow, we go out and we're very selective on on who we bring on board. You know, we're not. You know, I mean, we we give people a chance, and without a doubt. But uh, if you imp- you know empower people, you know they'll 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 do the right things, and if you give them the vision. This is the other side of it that I think you've done a very good job on, is all our people in AFT and any of the organizations, they know what your vision is. They know what you're trying to build. And if you give them that vision, then now you've empowered them to make decisions that can put you into a good light. Um, You know, you don't have a... One thing I love about your organization is you can take any of your people into any meeting and you come out with a good result. And you're not gonna get all the business all the time. But those people are salespeople too, even though they're you know, they're running projects and doing all sorts of stuff. And it just it goes on and on and, and that's what I found out early. If you're gonna grow an organization, you can't be afraid of growth. You can't be afraid of risk, but you gotta make sure that the risk reward is, you know, is in your favor. Uh, you don't wanna take on a project that's gonna fail. You know, but sometimes you run into that. I mean, we were <laughs> early on, we were into some different ventures that I got us into and they seemed really, really great at first, but some of them turned out not so good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting. That's one thing I've picked up. I've seen your interactions, Dave. I mean, you've had a wide net, wide bandwidth as far as everyone that you're meeting with in all the years, the relationships you've built across the country, not just across the country in Wisconsin specifically, but here locally in Arizona, and there's this loyalty you'll meet people um, and it's it's not a blind loyalty but but you believe in them and you see their potential it's not just where they are now it's who they can be and and you have your unique ability to to see that in people and I think as a leader that's really what makes you successful is you see where people can become you saw where I was and you saw where I could become or Adam or Andrew or anyone in our company and going back though to the wayside this is interesting I mean you mentioned that you know, as you're working with the whey protein and this is this, no one wants it. It's, it's causing issues, you know, to the economy. It's kind of issues to the fish. You know, how did craft, where does that R and D come from the technology? How does that communication start with a company as big as craft to say, we may have a product here that you can use to help you build your business. We can find now a place to sell this product. How does that even start?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, Interesting when you look at the life of a product, right? And it's what you put into it is what you get out of it. Now, Kraft was in a position where they had cheese plants and they had waste streams, and this was a resolve for them. So, you know, taking their product and selling it into industrial grade at a very low price isn't where they wanted to end up. Uh, we could see early on, and just to give you a little bit of background, whey protein is a very, very delicate protein. And what I mean by that is once it hits the acid in your stomach, it opens up, and when it opens up, it releases all the amino acid in that, in that protein, and it becomes bioavailable to your system. Well, on the other hand, it's really easy to manipulate when you want to process a food. You can open it up and make it a very, very sturdy product. You can, you can heat treat it, and you can end up with something that you put in a microwave and won't melt because now you've treated, you've basically designed that whey protein to do a different functionality because of through heat treatment or through other types of treatments. Well, Kraft was invested because they had the byproduct, but they also had a drive that this whey protein concentrate at, the, at when it first started was 20 to 30 cents a pound. Well, what whey protein produced in food products or replaced, I'm sorry, in food products was like nonfat dry milk. 34% nonfat dry milk, 34% whey protein concentrate. Nonfat was a dollar plus a pound whey protein was, you know, 30 cents, 20 cents a pound. It started. easy math. Yeah. Kraft looked at it and thought, Oh, cha-ching. We can make this thing work and we can make, and it ended up in Velveeta. And, uh, so it's, but it really goes back to getting the right people. Again, we had food scientists, we had, and we presented this to Kraft. We're the ones that got that worked with them to get this to work. Whey protein wasn't being produced at a Kraft plant at that time. So. We had uh, food scientists that went in and showed them how to work with it, how to heat it, do different things with it in their process. You got to understand that these plants are huge, right? That they make these products in. So we'd go in and we'd show them. It's called a food cutting. Uh, We produce something that looks similar to what they were producing, and then we take it in and show them at the lab level uh, with their R and D or in their in their. areas for, for evaluating their food for, you know, sometimes their chefs or whatever it might be. And then they would cut it and see how it would compare. And we do one with non-fat dry milk and one with whey protein. And they could see the similarities. And, and sometimes there had to be work to get it to a finished product. But they could see, again, the opportunity, both from a monetary standpoint and from, you know, they had a need because the, they were getting hit pretty hard with DNR for killing fish downstreams as well.
1: It's really interesting. And then now, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation as well, the way protein has moved into like isolate, right? Where, especially in bodybuilding, anyone that lives, you know, they want that isolate, clean protein, right? Maybe the case on protein, you know, at night when they're going to bed because the way it formulates in their body and so forth. And so how did those relationships, even the Ben and Jerry's, open up how you've worked with all these different companies and brands to fulfill specific needs that each of them had?
0: Yeah. So our food ingredient company was relatively large. We did you know, huge amount of volume out of our facility in Wisconsin. Uh, we grew it to about 200,000 square feet just in the La Crosse area alone. And we did bakery products. We did ice cream products, dairy products. We worked in everything you could think of it that was food consumption. We'd work in the meat category, whatever it might be. Well, we early on had opportunities. We went out because we did whey protein concentrate and a product called Stabilizer and when you look at ice cream it typically has milk okay and then sugars and different things together and then the stabilizer holds it together we moved heavy into the ice cream industry um, back uh, probably two years after i started the company Uh, we started right away representing a stabilizer company and went into kroger and all these other places and stuff so we understood how stabilizers worked when we found out is that whey protein and stabilizers together they could cut down the amount of stabilizers they used. Stabilizers are like anywhere from three to twenty bucks a pound. Whey protein is, you know, back then was typically about 50 cents a pound, 60 cents a pound. So now you're replacing $20 stabilizer with 50 cent whey protein and putting them together, we found a synergies. Our scientists found, and we had quite a few top-notch scientists on our staff. Um, and we brought a lot of them out of, out of college. Um, but anyway, we found out that we could work into the stabilizers. so we started doing our own blends. Well, we presented it to Ben and & Jerry's and uh, went out there. They, they needed some help. Um, for people that don't know Ben & Jerry's, they were, they were a pretty crazy group back in the day when <laughs> Ben & Jerry were both there. They started in a gas station and moved up and started building plants and really going to town, and they were a really good group. But they were... And the R&D was super. And they hired chefs for their flavor profiles. And we went in, and we were a small company at that time, smaller, and presented to them. And they said, okay, uh, if you can do this, show us what you can do. So we came back in and showed them a few cuttings and different things. And, and then all of a sudden, they're giving us you know, their basic formula and saying, you know, you'd, we'd like you to cost this out with some of your technology and see how this works. And with that, we... We gained their confidence, and we took over all their stabilizer business in Ben & Jerry's. Now, these guys, it's a—it's an interesting concept because the Ben & Jerry's came out of nowhere, um, just like we did in our food ingredient company and you did in your AFT life. And, and what they did is they got distribution on the East Coast, and a company called uh, Haagen-Dazs, Pillsbury, came after them and said, okay, you cannot— these to the distributors now, you cannot distribute Ben and Jerry's product because they're both high, high fat. They were like 23 to 25% fat. They're a premium ice cream is what they're considered. And you can tell when you see them why. You know, they, they have a great mouthfeel. They have a lot of, you know, inclusions. They do a lot of different things with their product. They even named some of their products after bands and such, mm-hmm. right? So uh, they went, Ben and Jerry went to Minneapolis, to Pillsbury, who owned Haagen-Dazs, and then they set up signs outside the doors, front doors of Pillsbury, and says, what is the doughboy afraid of? <laughs> <laughs> so they were pretty radical from the start. And they got on 60 Minutes, and and they became national, nationally known with a name, and they just kept growing and growing and growing. And we were able to do the same thing with them. Uh, but anyway, long story short, uh, Ben & Jerry's was a great, great company. When I called in to finish up the deal with them on the— on I'd getting the product scheduled, working with R and D on the formulas and stuff. Uh, I called in, and there was all sorts of rustling of papers, and it just sounded weird, right? I mean, there's people gasping, and it's like, what the heck's going on here? And uh, <laughs> long story short, they had a they had an in house basketball in the office in the R and D area. They had a basketball game going on. So I'm talking with, with the head of R&D, and she's given me the information, and now she's got to go out and do a three-pointer. <laughs> and then the, there's also uh, the operations guys there, and I think it was operations against R&D. I never really asked that question. I should have done that. But anyway, then the operation guys gets on and says, this is how we need it packaged, and this is how we want it. And so we spent... You know, I, I was probably on with them for about an hour and a half, and the whole time they were playing basketball. <laughs> and it's a small hoops, and you know, I'm sure it was something that was. But you could hear tables flying, and it was it was pretty funny. And I thought, oh, that's pretty unconventional.
1: Very unconventional, especially for a than company. What I saw at
0: Kraft yeah. and some of the other ones, General <laughs> Mills, General Foods. So,
1: yeah, I'm sure those some of those companies probably wouldn't have the basketball court in the back.
0: Yeah. So anyway, we ended up with all those until Unilever bought them, and then Unilever has their own stabilizer program. So we turned all the formulators, formulations over to them, and we work with Unilever too. Uh, but we worked with a lot of different food companies.
1: And when that Very happens, fortunate. not to get into the bones of the operation, but but when that separation comes and that you know you work with Unilever, does that is there like a sell price where you're selling the stabiliz- uh the stabilization formula to them and then a clean access strategy?
0: Okay. We'll give you a quick lesson. And you've heard this lesson before. But uh, for a food company to go into and talk to them, our, our program was really, really simple. We could go in and we could tell them, okay, the cheapest thing in the world for you guys to sell, and it's already in their ingredient. It's already in their product. We're not telling them really anything new, but they never really think of this aspect. The cheapest thing out there, your cheapest ingredient, I should say, is air. Okay. Your next cheapest ingredient is water, okay? Unless you're paying a really high water bill from the municipality, right. <laughs> which nobody is back then. Uh, and then the next thing is sugars, you know, uh, basically minerals, different things. Salts are really, really inexpensive. And then starts getting more expensive with fats and proteins and all the other things. Well, our company was a building block company. It, it was a builder of systems. And what we could do is we could go in and with our scientists and show them how we, and we usually ended up, either improving or maintaining the quality that they we never did it as a we always had to balance our conversation with them that we're not going to make your product worse our whole achievement here is to end up with a better product in the end result for you but we're working with a lot of formulations like a like a sauce company or whatever that were old school uh, recipes from somebody's ancestors and, Or that we'd go in and they were producing one thing and we'd give them a whole nother product to produce as an extension for their plant. So it was really a, it was really a a good, a good avenue for us to go down. and it opened up doors. I mean, we're sitting in Hershey's and talking about updated chocolate f- flavors and stuff and, and you know, where they were using, again, non-fat and we could show them whey protein and permeate and bring it all together without, Without making a worse product, making a better product in the long run, and Hershey's, you know, they they were all over that, and and a lot of these, uh, like Mars, all these guys now, and their formulations are more stable. You ship them across the mountains, they're better. They don't, you know, it's they're they're more knowledgeable about their finished products today, and that doesn't stop. They're always evolving, always evolving, always trying to come up with new products.
1: It's really good business advice, right there, Dave. That as a company, you're always evolving you're always looking at new doors as opportunity closes. There's more that opens up and that mindset really helps create a successful business. You know, as, as you look at that, I, I think your story is really unique, Dave, too, because you think about, we we had Ted Bainbridge on and he's Canadian and he always talked about the American dream and he and I have talked about that. He did talk about in the episode as well, just opportunity here. And and you look so much such as yourself, Dave, you born in Wisconsin, you work in the dairy industry, you go work for a company as the Forklift Driver, and now you've built this amazing enterprise, right? In a short amount of time, I mean, where does that confidence come where you're working for this company and although you grew to be one of the top salesmen, you see the whey protein come in, you see the opportunity there. What makes you take that step to say, okay, I'm going to start MSI, Main Street Ingredients. I'm going to figure out banking. I'm going to bring Rudy on because he's one of the key guys. You know how? Where does that confidence start? How, how do you begin a manufacturing operation that quickly?
0: You know, mine was... You know, it's it's just kind of how doors close and doors open, concept again. Uh, when I worked for Ridgeview, um, they we grew the company really really fast and and well, and the owners did very very well. They sold it to a to a company out of Holland, uh, Campina Melkuni, it's called. It's a it's a, a co-op, but they're they work in the food industry quite a bit and work with a lot of the uh, Cadbury and different ones overseas. But anyway. They were selling to – and when that happened, I was probably their top salesman. I probably had more revenue sales than the other folks did, which we were a team, though. I should I should be careful on that. I'm not trying to take no, – it, no, no. it was just opportunities and relationships that really worked. But anyway, I knew they were going to be dissatisfied because the following year, every all the prices moved up. The whole thing changed around in a heartbeat, and I did not want to – Work for a major corporation in a in a in a in that type of setting, especially for a foreign one at that time. So, bottom line is is uh, I thanked everybody and, and I, I left and started put up my own flag, um, and started Main Street Ingredients, and uh, and then the rest is kind of history. I ended up going back and buying that company that came in and bought. You know, we took over that operation, went back and and uh, acquired. Campina Melkuni in in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and 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 grew uh, quite a bit. Uh, I took on some partners uh, that were good for us, and then I ended up buying those partners out um, later on because they, they kind of wanted to go a different way, and I wasn't ready, to, you know, to quite quite go that way. Uh, I, I one thing you look at, you always look at, at at what your company value is, but you also look at what in lies ahead of you. Um, if you have a path to, to really get into bigger things and stuff, th- then you know you don't want to just throw it away and give it away of where you're at today. You want to get to that next point. And it's achievement, and it's it's a desire. And I love the food industry. I absolutely love the food industry. That's why I keep dragging you back into it some <laughs> of our other ventures, like yeah. Cliff and you know uh, Soul and & Science and Brinks TV and all these different things kind of have a fit into the food industry. And now we're looking at a coffee company. Um, it's it's family-owned operations. It's a family-type setting. You know your company is a family-type setting. Um, you know it's it's one that that uh, your people will walk through walls for you because they're invested and they and, and they want to they want to make this thing a success. I don't say walk through walls for you because you're you. They walk through walls because of them, and uh, they're willing to do that for for again. You give them vision. You show them what you want to achieve. They're, they're going to help you achieve it. And they're, and they're going to get rewarded for that work.
1: Well, you've always been strong in that. I, you know, you've said the word value. And, and the context here, Dave, that's really unique, I know in the beginning when we partnered, is that even as the companies are new or fresh and maybe the revenue not there, the net income, you're looking at this, well, there's value, right? There's value in the name and the brand. And as you're building this and your vision, right? So the value may not be there today in year one, but it may be there in year 10. And don't make decisions right now that are going to affect the value 10 years down the road. And how are you looking at that and constantly monitoring your growth, your stabilization, your leadership, your, as you mentioned, empowering the employees, giving them the systems, which is what you did for your stabilization. You created systems, right, that brought value to these companies. And that's what grew Main Street Ingredients. That's what's helped grow us now. Now we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So For anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode.
0: I think we need to back up for a second. You know, you asked me when I came down here and how I got down here a little bit. I think you and I need to talk a little bit about your history.
1: Well, we will. But yeah, I, I've been fascinated with this because I think it's really important to the context of what brought you to Arizona because Main Street Ingredient now has grown. You've built a great reputation. You, you're working with these national brands, which anyone listening has heard of. I mean, we all you're use You're not going to let me
0: ask you the questions.
1: Oh, okay? we're going to get there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but now here we go. Now we turn that corner, right? So what brings you down to Arizona in the 2000s?
0: So 2010, it was, world was turning around quite a bit. And part of that reason was because of FDA and changes that were being done at FDA and stuff. And we ran, we, our company was one of the cleanest Companies. In fact, a lot of the FDA rules and regulations, we worked with them on designing those and getting them into the FDA, to be honest with you. Uh, what they do is they go out into plants and they'd see what was good and what was bad, and then they'd take it and go into another plant and say, This is what you need to do there. Well, when 9 11 hit, we changed our program at our plant, and because it really impacted us, and we saw um, I don't know if you remember Tylenol when they had an issue with uh, tampering and everything on that. So what we did is we put all closed circuit TVs into a, all our operations. So all the all the production lines had cameras all over the place, and we were and we were videotaping everything and keeping a log on that. When people were coming in, our IT guy uh, designed uh, one of the first uh, uh, fingerprint. Uh, Scanners or... Scanners, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. for fingerprints. So we put those all on the door. You either had to put at that time, and this sounds a little bit strange. Is
1: this is this because employees possibly could steal recipes or formulas and there's no, proprietary? Or?
0: No, it's because we wanted to let employees in only, and we didn't want to have anybody else coming in. Uh, you know, we, we didn't want... They were talk about... Uh, arsenic and all these other things. So we wanted to know who was in our plant at all times. We didn't want to have anybody coming in. Everybody had to come in through the front door and get screened uh, and and uh, or they came in through the plants and they had to fingerprint or put in their social security number, which is pretty intrusive and I would I would change that process and not make that be the code they give. But so either fingerprints or that uh, we have it on 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 video. Uh, we were doing big time stuff. So I felt well, Nestle's came to us and they saw what we had, and and so we ended up picking up a lot of Nestle business. Uh, the Carnation instant uh, nonfat dry milk is, you know, we picked that up, and then we picked up a bunch of other ones and and different things at the plant. And now they're doing, you know, Garden of Eden, all these different products that that Nestle owns the label on. Well, we did. They came to us because we had a sophisticated situation, and not all the Nestle plants were that way at that time. They probably are now. Well, FDA comes in and they see this and they see us growing, and they like, you know, we need to get this out into the marketplace. We need to do this. When I say marketplace, their marketplace, which is plants all over the country. So. Uh,
1: and the reason being, right, the FDA is really strict. They want to make sure that the protocol, formulas, the product that we're consuming is healthy, it's clean. You don't want strains of Ebola or whatever it may be that can. Correct. Create mass infection, and so that's where it's really streamlined. And this helped keep that under the control. The bottom
0: line in our industry was Salmonella, listeria, E. Coli, things like that that you wanted to keep. That's how
1: many E. Coli I said Ebola, but E. Coli yeah, or I, I knew Salmonella. Where you were going. I was yeah. trying to correct you. Yeah,
0: somebody said something to you, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the so we did this, and and uh, we were very successful with it. But in 2010, it was getting pretty pretty crazy. Uh, you know, it's just Plus, I was diagnosed with cancer, so we might as well get on that road a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've had a few different cancers, and, and so 2010, it was time to, to uh, pull something else together, and not I sh- shouldn't say pull something else together, to sell the company. We had a lot of people that wanted to buy the company over the years, uh, a lot of different ones. Um, and you know, we said, okay, well, let's just, let's just do this. And I was going to stay on and, and help them build it and do some things. But I ended up with cancer and having to take care of some things and, and went a little bit different way. Um, and this was my second cancer when I, in 2010. So with that, uh, I just figured it's time to retire and Kirsten, my wife, and I can't say enough about this, this girl, she's She's an accountant, for one thing, and a really good chef, so she keeps me fat. But She's a great chef. She is. And a great controller. She is <laughs> so awesome. She is so awesome, which, you know, which, uh, you know, for the family, great-grandmother, the whole thing. By the way, everybody, we have four granddaughters. And I had two boys, and it's nice having four granddaughters, <laughs> although I love the coaching and stuff with the boys. They're awesome. But anyway, uh, not to get too far into the weeds for you. So anyway, we came down in 2010, and I ended up, it was 2008, 2009. I was down looking around. Things were kind of really, really soft in the marketplace. I was just looking for a retirement home to come down and get, and opportunities started to appear. And those opportunities, and and even though I wasn't in the market to do these things, um, we did them. So uh, back in the day, Chateau on Central was uh, available. It was in the mortgages limited debacle, and ML uh, Limited uh, was trying to sell so all their properties, liquidate everything. And the Chateau on Central was the first thing that was liquidated out of it. I worked with those guys to make that happen. Um, it's it was interesting. Some really good people I met uh, somewhere out of uh, government. Um, And we really enjoyed working in downtown Phoenix and actually all over the place. Uh, The mayor was awesome, uh, Mayor Gordon at that time. And and, uh, so we bought the Chateau on Central. Uh, We hired a company, and uh, that company is where I met you. And uh, I was still up in Wisconsin, and we did buy a house down here and uh, some other properties. And uh, I was back up there, and I I hadn't sold the company yet. Uh, so we had to have something down here too. Well, with that,
1: well, I'll I'll jump into here, Dave, because you probably don't even know this aspect of it. But just just a little background, and I've spoke a little bit, touched on this, but to get a little bit more personal from my side. So 2009, we had finished Montelucia, not only Lucia in Paradise Valley, heck of a project, great career builder. But at that time, the recession was really bad in Arizona, right? And it was at a point. And Dave, you've never heard this. I'm going to tell you now for the first time here on the podcast, right? So we're in a meeting. I was working for a company by the name of Roland, and we sat in the conference room. They had, we had roughly 300 employees, and after a monolacy, I mean, we were probably down to about 30. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it, was, it was coming down quickly. Um, the pipeline wasn't tremendously long because there were a lot of projects that we had lined up that banking had fallen through, investors had fallen through, clients weren't doing. Right, It was really difficult to get a job. And I remember sitting in the conference room, and the principal of the company sat down, and Adam, Cameron, Spencer, and I were in the conference room, and they told us, they said, look, there's an opportunity right now, Dave Clark, MSI West, they're purchasing the Chateau. We're bidding against a few other GCs. If we don't get this job, you guys are going to be laid off. And so I knew that. <laughs> I knew that I had this short timeline that I was going to be laid off if we did not get this project. Um, of which you've never known that to this point, Dave. So here we are now where Spencer, Cameron, and I invested ourselves. We, just a little context, the Chateau on Central, there's these five-story brownstones in downtown Phoenix. There's 21 of them, roughly 125,000 square feet of livable space between these 21 residences. Amazing buildings. They were started, they were probably about...
0: They look like historical buildings.
1: Historical buildings you see in Boston Jumbo or New York. Brick. Yeah. yeah. And they're 80% completed on the exterior, inside not completed. And so Dave was looking for a few different general contractors to come in and bid. What's it going to cost to finish the exterior? And then we also need budgets to finish off the interior. We'll get a sales team. We'll sell these individually, right, to, uh, to the consumer. So we worked really hard on that bid. I mean, there were... I remember being in the conference room four nights in a row um, till 2, 3 a.m. We're in the conference room working on this bid. Go home, quickly shower, come back at 5 a.m. and we're there till 3 a.m. again. I mean, it was like... The week. And we sent that in, and fortunately, we were selected.
0: Just to uh, give you a little bit of background, those are five-story buildings from basement to top and no elevators. And it's summertime and hot, hot, hot. So these guys had to run up and down the stairs for the evaluation and the quote. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so it was extensive because we were trying to figure out, okay, there was inventory already there. There were some windows there. Uh, Other, We were trying to figure out what Subcontracted because this project has sat vacant for three years. So we're trying to figure out where certain product can we get it? Can we use that? Can we give a discount to Dave? Because now we get can get that product at a cheaper price because it's already been purchased. And, you know, this unit's different than this one, so what's it going to take to finish? And so it was so convoluted. It was one of the most difficult projects I've ever had to estimate.
0: Do you think you could have done that without Mono Lucia? Background? No,
1: there's no way. And, and Mono Lucia was super unique. I mean... People understand, when we when I was hired in at Mauna Lucia, I was hired in on custom side. There are 34 custom homes that live on the hotel property. So these are people that have a personal residence. They have hotel amenities. And they have all the card HOA fees that are not cheap. But over the years, as we're over the months as we were working on Mauna Lucia, we ended up taking over the entire project, right? We took over the spa. We took over. We had all the guest rooms, the landscape, the pool. I mean, everything, the restaurant, the wedding chapel. So having this experience of trying to put together bids quickly, putting together information to make sure you're accurate was really key. And then you're working with some of the top architects and designers and investment firms across the country, even some foreign investors and, and one of the banks was, was foreign. And so putting this together and midstream in Monta Lucia, we had a change of ownership and we had a consultant group that was actually the original builders of California Adventureland, Disneyland he came over. And so you're working with all these different personalities and it's very complex. So that definitely set the tone to allow us to at least find a way to figure out the chateau. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to go through, I won't say heck to,
1: you do have to go through a (laughs) heck. That's (laughs) a clean version, right? It's a
0: clean version to get, to understand stuff.
1: You do. And, And this relationship was really key. So Dave, and he mentioned Rudy. Rudy was... your operations, dur- operations. operations. And partner at Chateau. And partner. And then he was also flying down with you as you... He was a
0: partner at Main Street too. He was a partner I, at Main I Street. I did all the lead. Uh, there was president and VP of sales, VP of operations. And
1: right. And you're both really sharp. And we enjoyed working with you as we're working through the Chateau. And during this time, uh, so now 2011, leading up to this, I, I was in a transition personally. I was... You know, construction was still tough. We had the Chateau. Uh, I wasn't sure where things were going to go after the Chateau because I knew that shelf life is only going to be a couple years, right? It's been a little longer, but at the time, you only thought this little runway. So I had had taken the GMAT, was preparing to go to business school, um, applied to different business schools, was accepted, and then went through some personal strife. It was summer of 2011. I was ready to go to graduate school. I was moving out of state. You knew this, Dave. I was leaving Roland, going out of state, and I was married with three daughters and my ex-wife decided this was time for her to pursue a different venture and not go with me to graduate school and start this process over. And she moved to California and now I'm a single dad, three daughters. I had trained my replacement at Roland, who is now working at the Chateau, funnily enough, and I didn't have a job. I had nowhere to go. Single dad, can't go to graduate school not now. It's like
0: you're employable.
1: I wasn't employed, I, I where are you going to go? No one's hiring. I have construction experience, but no one's hiring, yep. you know? And it was the lowest part of my life. This 2011, um, super tough time. And a peer of mine said, hey, Brad, I have um, an opportunity. You know, I want to put you in. Uh, I had planned to go into healthcare, as you know, with GE Capital. G-Capital, so yeah. GE Capital had a division where they were um, working in the hospital industry, and they would lease... CAT scan equipment and a lot of this equipment, which yeah. I know you're familiar with.
0: Well, GE's program was huge.
1: Massive. GE's a huge. massive, massive and company. And
0: most of those guys are MBA guys and different ones that are doing the sales on it.
1: Especially in GE Capital, they're all MBAs. And yeah. that was one of the requirements. I had to get my MBA. And somehow, because a really good friend of mine was really high up there with GE, he sat down with the VP of GE and said, Look, I believe in this guy. He's not an MBA. And so he at least got the door open. And so I flew to Milwaukee. I'm in my hotel room. This is October of 2011.
0: You didn't come over and see me. I was in La Crosse.
1: <laughs> I should have come over to Lacrosse. Fortunately, I didn't have to because I'm sitting in the hotel room the night before the interview and my phone rings and it's Dave Clark calling. <laughs> and Dave calls and says, Brad, what are you doing? What are you doing there in Milwaukee? You're right down the street, essentially, right? And I explained to him, and you kind of knew a little bit that I was going to go back to grad school. And you said, don't take the offer. Don't take the job.
0: No, I I don't think I said don't. I I said it would be a mistake.
1: Yeah, you did. That's even (laughs) more. You said it'd be a mistake for you to hire on with GE Capital if if they made the offer, which at this point they hadn't, right? So I still went through my interviews, came back, and shortly thereafter, this was October, a month later, uh, Dave and I, Dave said, look, Brad, and this is when I found out. I didn't even know you had cancer at the time. And he said, Brad, to be transparent, I'm dealing with myeloma, right, cancer. I have this. I, I feel good about it. And I knew you are a positive person. You're like, this isn't a long t- – I mean, most people that have this disease, it, it's not – their window's pretty small. But I plan on being here, and so there's still a risk. But, and you laid everything out for me in a way where you said, but – you know, I believe in you, you're here local, you can stay here, you have your daughters, and let's go build something. I'm working with Na- with a gentleman from NASA, we're working on this technology for, uh, for the military, I want to have you travel, I can't do that now, so can you travel to the Philippines, can you travel to Singapore, wherever potentially maybe, China. potentially China, to work with the plants, and at this point, uh, a saving grace in my life where I needed something at, at my darkest moment, and you were there.
0: Well, you know you, you left out one little little thing, and that was the chateau you had to manage the chateau, our only property down here and uh, with that, you had to work with your old company yes <laughs> which was which was interesting and it was good and and those guys and the people there were phenomenal and and when they closed their doors um, you know, we made sure all our, our trades were all paid. We always made sure of that. And and you helped through that process and stuff. Um, the next thing was, you know, you starting a company. But it, it's it's kind of funny because you jumped into that without really knowing if we had anything going the other way. And it was just the chateau. It was. GE capital or just the Chateau. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see GE capital where they fly you all over the world they pay you a huge salary or the Chateau. Yeah. <laughs> and or, not to, I, Or Dave Chateau Clark who's back in class. lacrosse, yeah. Chateau is world class. But yeah, but it, you, you 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 know it was a it was a good marriage. It was you know I already knew the entity. I knew you. I shouldn't say the entity. I knew who you were. I knew what you're capable of. And you know, I mean, Roland was a was a great company. It had great people. And it was a shame what took place. I think it was really the, the mothership that ended up It was, everything.
1: Up. Yeah, they had, they had built a hospital in Texas that had some issues. And yeah, when we bonds. built the Mauna Lucia, they had f- a few different entities tied into the same bond for the bonding capability yeah. to do Mauna Lucia. And they had never changed that. So when this entity had some liability issues on the construction in Texas, everything got brought in. And it was really tough. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So – that gave us an opportunity. And then the runway you talked about, which was a short runway, but turned into a little bit longer runway was to finish off the Chateau. And, and we hired, you know, some people that were available now. Um, Well, this goes back
1: to, if I interrupt you, Dave, you're, you're mentioning Kirsten, your wife, who's an amazing chef, amazing cook, and she really is. And so, uh, you know, fast forward, 2012. Now we partnered in Thanksgiving is really Thanksgiving. 11, then 2012. Um, the, technology company we're looking at with the military, there were some other complications to that venture. And you had had my wife and I, or I think we we're engaged, Ashley and I at the time, we were engaged at the time we came to dinner at your house. And um, I still remember, Kirsten made this amazing spread, the salmon, right? For It was just incredible. But anyways, we're sitting at that dinner table and you looked at me and said, Brad, I think you need to start a construction company. You need to go get licensed. And I kind of looked at you like, I don't do know. I really there's a lot to, to this? this. I've been through this. <laughs> are we are we up for this? Like, there's a lot to construction. And he said, "No, you really need to, you need to figure this out and go do this." And you did. And I did.
0: Yeah. And you dove into it really fast and wholeheartedly. You know, I mean, it was that that was a great thing about working with you, Brad. Is you never shied away from a challenge. You know, when things get tough, tough get going. And and, uh, but I, I, you know, I mean, we came out. We we started in a time where construction companies were. They weren't all folding, but they were downsizing. Different things going on. We had little or no overhead, and we were starting from scratch. And we built a company during tough times, and I think it really paid well and paid off well. I I don't mean from a monetary standpoint, because we definitely had our downtimes and our uptimes. It paid off from being able to survive in a very, you know just to be kind, contrary environment, business environment. But, uh, um, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we had some assets that we formed, you know, we had some other companies that we were invested in that you were part of, um, you know, and and again, some of those didn't turn out the greatest, but some did. And, and, uh, you know, like some of our, our land purchases and different things that we have,
1: um, and this is neat too, because, yeah, I I mean, and a, Big thanks to my wife, Ashley. I mean, she's been a complete sweetheart and, and you know very well. And she was a huge support going through this. And when we we're married, we have three kids, so I we have six now, three and three, right? And so we have that aspect of our personal life. But but I know Ashley was a big support and she's like, I just love David and Kirsten and the mentorship and you know, that we look at you as family, which is pretty rare I feel, in the business world to have that on your in your back pocket and 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 one thing early on, and I speak about this now only because I've learned from you is that brick and mortar. I one thing that I've seen a lot of construction companies in in, in Phoenix, as you mentioned, I mean it was still a slow climb. I mean, we we were coming out of this recession, but it really wasn't until two thousand seventeen. I mean, it was yeah. five years later after we started AFT that there started to be more and more business. And then, you know, since then it's been really busy Just look but.
0: back. I mean, if you take a look at when you started to 2017, you were getting returned customers mm-hmm. and we really, you know, you really, you know, paid attention. I mean, all those, all those customers should have had a, you know, should have had a good result. And if they didn't, you know, I think we took responsibility and, and tried to figure out why and never have it happen again. But, um, you know, it's 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 a over that time period. You have to get people's confidence. You have to, you know, you're building a company. It doesn't start just like that overnight, unless you're, a, you know, doing a app and all of a sudden it takes off and TikTok or something. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, you're doing it the old-fashioned way. You know, one piece of wood, one block at a time. And but look at where you guys are at now, and the, and the confidence and the quality that you put out there is is second to none. And and you're not you're not the cheapest out there, but you're not the most expensive. You know, you give a fair value for what you do, and and it shows in in your customer base. Um, you know, it's just it's really fun to watch and to see, and and then we still have our other ventures. Some of the stuff we talked a little bit about, and I and I have to say too, Ashley, and your whole family, even your mom and dad. And I told you, I says you you really should t- not take any credit. It's your mom and dad <laughs> that is needs true. the credit. It is they raised true. It. And I I tell a lot of people that you know I like you and. You know, I, I think your parents need congratulations. Oh,
1: they do. Trust me. But uh, anyway, <laughs> my dad was just teasing me or over the weekend about when I was 16 and wanted to run away because I was so mad at mom and dad, right? And <laughs> we all Being had that, that tough teenager, right? <laughs> yeah. And here yeah. we are now, and you look back, like, what was I thinking when I'm in high school? You know? But yeah.
0: my kids all did it too. They Run away, probably 16, 18, 20. No, they're great kids. Awesome but it's, families. but it's
1: yeah, it's interesting. It's funny because you and I, I remember when Ashley and I went to visit you and you had a cabin in Bemidji and we're there in Bemidji. And I remember asking you, okay, you sold mainstream ingredients. You're out of food. You know, you're, you're out of it. Are you going to come back? You're like, no, I'm, we're good. I'm enjoying retirement life. And and one thing I've seen, Dave, you just can't rest. You're not. I tried you, retirement. It's you tried retirement. S- I think it's 10 all times. It's cracked up to be. And, and every time, you know, every quarter Dave calls me, okay, Brad, I think there's a new opportunity. We need to figure this out. But um, it's funny. So now here we are, as you mentioned, Solon and Science and Kilcliff, yeah, and, yeah. you know, so talk about these opportunities and what we're doing, you know, outside of AFT, just from the back into the food, um, ingredient. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you, and market. you know, and you know, as much as I do about them, so we'll banter back and forth, maybe if you're okay with that. Huh? Yeah. But, uh, we've, we've had some great opportunities, some phenomenal opportunities, uh, both in the building side. I mean, you, you, t- you take a look at your supply chain, and the relationships you have with your supply chain and stuff. And it's, it's been, just to finish up on, on your company there, AFT, it's, it's, you know, you keep these, these suppliers, uh, really, you give them business. And they appreciate that. But their relationships, right? These people that, that you work with, Kohlers, whatever it might be, Cambria, you know, you name it, uh, stick, you know, throwing up sticks or whatever it might be, uh, you maintain, so that's really, really, really important. So now over on the food side a little bit. So we, uh, we, we <laughs> dabbed our foot into a few different things. And one of it was uh, uh, we did a whey protein isolate for, and it's called Complete Milk Protein, but it's owned by Solon Science. And that is uh, that's a partnership that we formed uh, with a couple of guys that, that uh, rented space from us. And then they also brought a gentleman to us. His name is John Brinkus. And for some of you people out there that uh, don't know who John Brinkus is, he's, he is uh, the life science from ESPN. Uh, he
1: produced sports a, science, sports yeah. science. I'm sorry. Yeah. And science. I, th- I think he was on our podcast early on. I think we're on episode 23, yeah, early we gotta 20, probably, you there. probably
0: got to get him back.
1: And yeah, we do now, but yeah, he, so he did all the sports science for yeah. ESPN. Yeah.
0: So he, he, he is the CMO chief marketing officer for Killcliff. and Killcliff is an energy drink company. And, uh, so long story short, uh, we got to know the Killcliffe people and we were able to invest in Killcliffe with uh, one of their uh, their major companies that own the majority of them. So we invested with them into Killcliffe. And Killcliffe is, and and John Timar was on here. And I think you also had Dash. Dash. Dash was on too. Dash is awesome. Yeah. Dash is awesome. John is awesome. So anyway.
1: Uh, and Ryan uh, Bader has been on too, who's one of, you know, yeah, he's associated he, with Killcliffe, but he, he fights with Bellator now.
0: Yeah, he just fought, didn't he?
1: Uh, he will be in Phoenix.
0: I thought he fought up in Vegas last year. Yeah, time.
1: but he fights, I think, in Phoenix in October. Okay. I think I have to look
0: So up. we talk about fighting. This is actually UFC. UFC, Bellator, yeah. Yeah, fighting that Kill Cliff has influencers MMA. from, and, and they're they very active. Well, John and Timar, uh, they've become friends, and we were able to invest in that company. And it's been a great investment. Uh, they're they're growing. Uh, they're a young company. Uh, they aspire to be a much larger and bigger company, but they they have kind of the same mindset. And what I found in the organization, and I have a place on the board, so I get to I, I get to see a lot of the employees and such. And they are uh, second to none in our concept of empowering people. Um, when you when you talk. To any position in Kilcliff, they know what they're doing. They're running their area. They're achieving goals. And but now you have something at the top of Kilcliff which is really kind of different. And I shouldn't say different, uh, unique. I shouldn't say unique. He's special. <laughs> John Timar is at the top of Kilcliff, and he was on here. But John Timar is an ex Navy SEAL. And when you talk about somebody that understands and knows and uh, has such a good feel for his company, it's John Timar. But John Timar empowers his people, and that, that helps them quite a bit. And uh, he gives them the vision, and then they, they get, do what they can to get it done. I, I overuse the word walking through walls, but they really do. So Kill Cliff is moving along. Uh, they have phenomenal growth. Uh, they're just getting distribution uh, all over the place. They have a they have a Kilcliff CBD. Uh, some of you people uh, listen to Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is that's the Kilcliff. The Flaming Joe is a Kilcliff product. His own flavor. His own flavor, designed specifically for Joe. And if you've had it before, uh, or if you haven't had it before, you should try it. It's got a spice. Uh, Spicy a, pineapple. Pineapple, yeah, yeah. It's 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 great. And um, I'm not a. Big drinker, but they tell me it's phenomenal and, and drinks as well. <laughs> but anyway, the organization um, and and they're just they're just getting going. Um, they have distribution through uh, Southern Glazers, uh, uh, which is located here and all over the country. And uh, phenomenal company, great people, and uh, so they're really really moving and shaking. And we've been very fortunate. And I think even uh, supplied us a refrigerator and some Kilcliff for your. Conference room, I
1: believe. Yeah. So anyone is you come visit the AFT office upstairs in the conference room, Kill Cliff. We have a refrigerator stock full of their product. We also have, um, of course, the spicy pineapple flavor, which is Joe Rogan, and then Israel Adesanya, the style bender, who is in town. I know we met him. He's he has his own tequila uh, kiwi, his own kiwi flavor coming yeah, out. That yep. actually is coming out this month in yeah. in August.
0: Yeah. And these guys just—they're real stand-up. In fact, it's kind of funny because I ran into uh, some old people in uh, from the industry, from like Ben and Jerry's and different organizations that are culminated with some of these folks. So it's—it's it's interesting to
1: to pull those old relationships back uh, now that you're kind of mingled in it again.
0: Yeah, and then, and then also. Uh, as they grow, because of my manufacturing background and stuff, I can go in and help them. And you know, I've been through some of their facilities where they're where they're manufacturing, and and uh, can see how they're doing it and support them. Um, you know, it's 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 just fun. It's fun getting with good, energetic people and and helping them do what they do best.
1: And the soul and silence explain that the the products in the soul and science brand right now. The yeah, proteins the,
0: we have uh, immune fresh, which will be coming out here shortly, and uh, we also have a, a colostrum product. And colostrum is a pretty unique, interesting. It's it's a pretty functional product. Uh, you get that off the first milkings. We're going back to my dairy. Roots now, but anyway, when you do the first milking of a cow, and it's used a lot in baby food, so Mead Johnson, uh, you know, all these Merck Pharmaceutical, all these different companies use it in their baby food formulations, and uh, we're we're packaging it under Solen and Science and bringing it out, and and uh, and it's functionality. It's really really good. Uh, it's funny how the body works, and it's it's funny how you have. We're really understanding now at a level that's you know, we didn't understand a few years back, you know, like cell formation and what happens there and stuff. And colostrum is a way as your cell formation goes, it helps in, in that in that category. So immunal you know, for cell formation and immunal system uh, support is really, really good with colostrum. And uh, and that'll be coming up. But Solon Science is a, a John Brinkus uh, we're in partnership with it. Um, he had sports science and now we have Solon and science and, uh, he's produced some, he's also has Brinks TV and the Brinks TV has a platform for Killcliffe. So if you, if you get a chance, go on Killcliffe and look at their app, if you want to get their app or just look at them on the, on the computer, John Brick has built a lot of that along with the Killcliffe folks. Um, and, it's very, very interesting. It's a platform. It's an interactive platform. He has uh, put on, like during the Super Bowl last year, uh, he put on uh, um, a uh, kind of a group party, and people that he had on was Bruce Aaron's son um, and uh, Ray Lewis and Trent Dilfer and Paige, I forget Paige's last name, Steele and on and on. He just had a ton of people, and they were basically critiquing the Super Bowl last year, and it was fun, but it was broadcast on Brinks TV, and it had interactive games, so people were winning money. He gave away $60,000 on, on it, and uh, it was sponsored by Kilcliffe, Soul Solon Science, and uh, I think two other companies. So he brings an interesting uh, direction to us. But a, a lot of opportunities. And, and then I bring in the food side potentially with some other opportunities. We're looking a little bit right now at a coffee, uh, a cold brew coffee. Uh, and we're thinking about put, bringing that into the fold. And we'll see as we move forward. Um, we're in the infancy on that, so it's probably a bit premature to even make that statement. But uh, we'll see. But you're working towards it. We're working towards it. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, it's 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 been fun. And, you know, we've owned some other properties Uh, that we work with Uh, you know you guys are the construction for the for when we do something we bought malls and fixed them up and filled them up and then sold them
1: yeah so we've worked with with Glenwood out of Mason and and working as you mentioned another venture is like you said when you brought me on hey Brad there's there's going to be opportunity we'll find opportunity we'll build opportunity and you know that it's the connector side I've seen like you're a very good connector with people right and that there's a lot of value to that as a business operation, a business company. And John Brinkus is that way. He's a connector, yeah. right? He's connected to a lot of people in yeah. production. We've met some great people like Rob Vaca, right, who's connected. And yeah. these are important relationships to us, even though they're based in Atlanta. And we're here in G-Dub. Phoenix. G-Dub. right? And, I mean, just the whole group there. It's just they're amazing people. Jerry Barker. Yep.
0: Operations. I mean, he's he can go out and sell or produce.
1: Yeah. And they just have so many different talents and networks. And then, you know, the land development side has been interesting because this is where I I feel like that MBA education one-on-one where we're working with Glenn, we're working with you Dave and we're looking at um the value, right, the cap rate at at dirt at existing properties, their their lease potential, where they're at now, you know what this looks like one year, 5 years, 10 years, right? And as we're investing back in the community and and building these neighborhoods and putting in value there and possibly doing the construction work in some cases. You know, there's just a lot of different things out there that bring value to us as a brand and to our clients to know that, Hey, we're here for the long run. You know, we're, we're here. We have brick and mortar behind us. We have a company and there's a lot more to AFT than just the construction side. Although we're not distracted by these other things. These are just a core of our business that allow us to, yeah, you know, to be here for the long run.
0: Yeah. And then there's people that support us. Like when we did the Chateau, um, you know, like Randy from Coffin Trout, you know, supported us and, in our advertising and and stuff. And and, uh, for people that don't know Randy Kaufman, he's got Coffin and Trout uh, Jewelry Store. But he gave us, you know, a watch to give away when we had the design challenge. A Mm -hmm. Rolex, yeah. It's just... Unbelievable that people go out of their way and do the stuff that they do, and, and
1: he does a lot of charity work too. I know he, a lot huge of, of charity, yeah, work. a lot of kids. I mean, he has his golf tournament. An, I think it's
0: a problem. I think he has an enlarged heart. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's
1: quite possible with Randy. <laughs>
0: it is, without a doubt. But uh, on the back on the Glenwood side, uh, great great partners too, and they've done a great job in getting, you know, opportunities to us and showing us things and stuff. And out of opportunities, you know where they've cashed out for us and stuff and, and, uh, you know, good people. So, so what's ourselves with good people, I think it, is very important.
1: It is super key. And so Dave, I mean, it, it, it's funny. And I, I'm glad you touched upon the cancer side because as far as I've known you 12 years now, you've been fighting through this and you continue to overcome it. And I think that's a testament to what this conversation is based on. You know, that when you, you see opportunity and you don't get caught up, I think, one of my challenges that I deal with personally is, you know, it, it's really easy mentally to always focus on the failures, right? Because there's mistakes I've made in my career. There's mistakes I've made with clients or communication or processes and they eat at me. And and, and part of it's I'm competitive, you know, and, you know, I want to have a good reputation and it's like, well, I, I can't allow this to happen again. But it, it's interesting. It's a lot of times we get fixated on that instead of we're not fixated on, on the end goal, right? On yeah. the positive side, like there's so many great things happening. Why distract ourselves with these things that, and, and I know this is something we talk about in the construction community because I could be home with my family or kids and get an email on my phone from a client that like upsets my entire night, right? Because it's yeah. something I can't resolve and my wife's so always like, I know you just want to like- It's every industry though. Bro. It's every industry. And, yeah. and it's finding that ability to say, this is here, that's always going to be here. But how do I change my mindset now to focus on the good things, or take value in the moment, and and you've done a great job. Help them understand that perspective.
0: Yeah, I've been again pretty blessed in a lot of different ways, but uh, the medical side has been been huge, and that's kind of showed me that that a lot of these. And I'm a warrior, you know. I'm a warrior. Which
1: no one would ever guess you're a warrior, Dave, if they know you.
0: <laughs> well, my wife would argue that point, but uh, you know, I I but I also solve a lot of my issues at night. I've always done that I've fallen asleep and woke up and go ah oh, there's the result of that it's <laughs> working with FDA or whatever it might be you know here's the fix and uh, but on the medical side I've I've been very very blessed on that side and uh, I've I've been I learned early that you have to be your own advocate but you also have to listen and learn and you can't you can't be a know-it-all uh, you want to ask the right questions and you want to get out there and do the right things I had a uh, new technology that's just been approved for multiple myeloma is a CAR-T cell. Uh, and it's where they, they take your T cells. A lot of people hear about this today because of uh, the COVID situation. Uh, your T cells, uh, when you get COVID, you end up with an immunal system that should be fight against COVID. So you shouldn't really have an issue with it going forward if your system works properly. There's a lot of us with complications. Compli- uh, complicated, uh, immunal systems c- compromised. There we go, immunal systems. So we have to, you know, we have to go and and uh, you know get our vaccines. And I did have COVID and all this stuff. Well, the CAR T is they crop off your T cells. They they take. In fact, I just had it done. I had it done uh, two and a half years ago, and I was in remission for two years. And it's the RM&A, uh where they take and they put something out there to identify, just like they do in the, in the COVID one, to identify COVID and to go and, and knock it down. Well, in, in this process, they take the T-cells, they take 50,000, they crop it off, they grow it to three to 600 uh, CAR T-cells. And the CAR T-cell stands for, it's a T-cell, but now they've added a marker to it. And that marker is a hunter for multiple myeloma, that cancer that I have. And I was in complete remission for when I was in a study on one, and now I'm going back in for a second one. And these, this has been, I've been very, very fortunate for a lot of different reasons, and, and some of it has to do with I'm into the Mayo system for the most part, but I also have very good friends in the medical field, and they've helped uh, kind of guide me through some different areas. Um, a guy you should get on here is, is Joe McHale. Dr. Joe McHale, and he's head scientist for multiple uh, myeloma, international multiple myeloma. So he goes all over the world, and there's countries that suffer worse than we do here. And he, he he tries to get drugs and doctors educated and different things. But he's he's phenomenal guy. But anyway, he's helped me through this. He's helped me learn it. There's always been something developed for uh, the future, uh, and. I've been in a few of those studies. Some of them have worked, some of them haven't worked. Uh, the CARS T-cell seems to be working. The next level is going to be uh, bispecifics, it's called, where they don't have to put the marker on your T-cells. They just inject you with the marker, and it goes and hunts it and, and takes care of the cancer. It's kind of So they're trying to make uh, these life-taking diseases and turn them into chronic diseases. And this is the group that, that I also have been able to work with as a patient. Uh, But also learning and understanding and working through these things and kind of becoming an advocate to a certain extent. There's, you know, I'll get phone calls from friends that say that, know I have cancer. And and they'll say such and such just came down with, you know, this. Would you be willing to talk to them? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, and and you just got to get people to keep fighting. And sometimes it's pretty bleak or pretty hard to take. I learned early on, you know, I think I told you this before, when I had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and got radiation, my first treatment I went over to Mayo in Rochester, and I get in there for my treatment, and here's five or six kids that are bald and have an inoperative brain, different things for different kids. But anyway, these kids are on the floor playing, and then all they got their, their little, you know, something next to them bagged so they can throw up into. So, I mean, it's, you watch these kids and you're like, oh, you know, this isn't so tough for me. I mean, these kids, you know, they haven't, they haven't lived yet.
1: (laughs) I love that because I mean, just, you know, as you think about perspective, right? So much of life is perspective. And if you have, not that, Hey, my situation's better or worse than someone else, but having perspective of, you know, this is what it can be. Right. And as you mentioned, is that it, it, Fighting through this. This is another point in the process. And one thing you haven't spoken about is as you've gone through some of these treatments, Dave. I know it's worked on your immune system. It's worked on you physically. And where there's times where you're extremely sick or you can't get out, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stop you from just seeing the vision and getting out of it and communicating. And
0: well, it kept me away from the 25th, 50th. Seventy-fifth podcast. Now I'm here at the hundred. No, I, it did. I, it I, kept I, you away for well, a little while. We've been
1: trying to get you on for a while, and it worked out perfect for one hundred.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate you. I appreciate the whole thing. So, I think the other thing that we need to probably talk a little bit about is all the opportunities that you've had with designers, you know, people in the industry, architects. You know, we we at AFT, and I, I use that loosely because you're the guy there all the time, but. Uh, we at AFT have been really, really lucky. And I think your relationship with the designers, uh, you know, advertising for them, doing the videos that you do to show the work that they have. Uh, it's just such a win-win situation.
1: Well, that's how we met. I mean, I think this is part of it, too, is S.S. who designed your house, mm-hmm. they introduced and said, hey, we just worked at Mauna Lucia with Brad and AFT or Roland and Adam and Spencer. So they made that introduction. I mean, that's... They did our offices. They did our offices yeah, where we're at now, Tony did, and his team. And so that part's key. And, and this is really goes back to the beginning of the conversation, Dave. When you talk about relationships and you talked about the vendors a little bit, and I didn't touch on that at the time, but you talked about like Sub-Zero Wolf, Pella, right? Cambria, Kohler. Yeah, I'd yeah, left those out. Yeah. yeah. And, but these are They're companies that, that people don't realize is that it's not just... When you think of supply chain and and the value to have a resource there at the main organization that's your ally, right? Yeah. That's supporting you. We're only as good as our suppliers. So not just working through a local distributor, but through the main company itself. And that ties back to Iowa. That ties back to Minnesota, yeah. Wisconsin, right? And these are companies that support us and, and it's through social media. It's through the relationships we've built and our designers have been key because, you know, one thing when I talk to our customers, you're going to like me by the end of this the designers do so much. Architects do so much, and having a good team, that good communication, now puts a project where I can be successful. It makes a project that photographs well.
0: Yeah, we've seen we've seen when you know I mean it drags when we don't out. have
1: them, it's so difficult. Yeah,
0: it drags out, time goes on, uh, a lot of different things, uh, things that have to be returned that people don't like once they see it. Where the designers can come in and lay it all out in total agreement. You know, usually on the finished project is right there. But the talent in this town is second to none. I mean, you know, you could, so go, much. you could go to, you know, I mean, these are all award, almost all of them are award-winning um, designers. You know, I just,
1: we... And they travel all over the country, too. They
0: travel, and, and, you, and you meet them and see their work all over the country, too. Um, I bought a house up in Flagstaff, and uh, we got rid of the... The lake home up north that you were at, but uh, we bought one in Flagstaff to get out of the summers a little bit. And uh, the designer that did the house that we built is just—I fell in love with it. I looked at it, you know, and I think I recommended that you talk to him Mm -hmm. because of the work that I see that they did up there. And it was some—they took some concepts. It was a—it's kind of a modern, but it's a soft modern mountain mountain modern. I would almost call Mm -hmm. it where it has a lot of woods and stuff in it and things that I like uh, without being crazy modern. But anyway. Uh, you know, you just see them all the time and you see them on your projects and and, uh, and then controls, controls on tile. I mean, if, if, if you want to protect, if you want to help the, the buyer protect his product, his finished house, I mean, whatever that cost that you pick up on designers, that's a protection. That's an insurance policy that they make sure that the tile that goes in matches. It's not five different lots. If there's reds that appear and there are not supposed to be any reds in there, they'll get it re surface pull it up and redo it until it's done right and people don't understand that aspect of what designers do you know not only come up with the design but actually all the way through the process they come in and do work and check and make sure everything's going right
1: yeah and all the education the layout the furniture i mean everything yeah. to make you enjoy your home as you mentioned where you get home and when you're battling cancer you're dealing with whatever it's like i love my house like i'm inspired i'm motivated and there's yeah. so much value there and the business development arm too that as we've earned a reputation or respect from our designers and architects, they bring us in. And so that's a whole nother chapter two of that relationship. Yeah. And as you mentioned, it's that operating procedure that time I've deviated and not had a designer has been so well, difficult. We've,
0: we've tried to build off draftsmen. Yeah. and something like that. And it just turns, it just becomes too complicated and hard to, because it's not finished. It's an unfinished product and people don't realize it's unfinished. And, and when you finish something, you may want to have a whole different wall in a different location because it's not functional after you finish it off and see what you have. So it's well, just, it's yeah. good. And we, and, and a lot of the designers become friends and, and they bring business to you too. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good relationship for both sides, I believe.
1: And the designers and architects are a key role. I'm glad you brought that up because they'll be happy knowing the power and influence that they have and the value they bring to you. So same mm-hmm. here, Dave. And, same. and so as we close this, what do you do for fun?
0: Uh, oh, you know, I'm kind of a car guy. You so are I a car to a track guy. Track, and I I grew up with horses.
1: Although I will say, this is a funny story. So, Dave loves Bear Jackson. He's a car guy, and I have to share this on the sure. podcast because this just shows how fun Dave is to work with. So, Dave loves cars. He he's taken me to Bear Jackson. He has an amazing car collection of himself. And this was probably four or five years ago. I said, Dave, are you looking at any cars this year? Are You going to be any cars buy, purchase any? He said, No. I went through it. I'm not going to get anything this year. Well, Sunday rolls around and I get a phone call, and Dave's like calling me, and I answer the phone, and Dave says, Hey, turn on the TV. I just bought an airplane. <laughs> and I'm like, Dave, you can't fly. And he said, Well, it comes with flight lessons, so I'm going to figure it out. And this is, but it just, to me, that's the personality that Dave, like, you're not afraid of anything. I'm like, I'm going to go figure out how to be a pilot now. I'm going to go figure out. And, and it's just that constant search you have to better your craft, to meet people, to, just enjoy life because this is what you've been given, yeah, you know?
0: Yeah. And I'd say you do the same thing. So, although you have a lot more heartburn now than what I have at this point in my life. But I can... I can well, I have teenagers understand.
1: and young kids, so there is some heartburn there too, but... Yeah. I've uh, the a work wonderful side. family yeah. so all the way through. And you like golf? Is the golf game still good?
0: Uh, golf game, ebb and flows. More flow than ebb. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's something I constantly work on, but it's, it's fun. And I, I really do enjoy people. So it's, you know, I can, I can be anywhere and meet people or find out where they're from or whatever. It's, it's fun. So,
1: well, I will say for anyone, if, if you get the chance to meet Dave, which I'm sure you will, Dave is, is um, a very important uh, member of my life and my family and, and our company. And he, he's the backbone of us. And that's why I'm grateful that you took the time to come on the episode today, Dave.
0: Literally my pleasure. I'm proud of what you guys build. You guys do an awesome job.
1: So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.